I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Welcome to the Rebel Wellness Podcast, a holistic approach to personal health, empowering like-minded women to break free from today's diet culture. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I wanted to invite you to join us on this journey to embrace a healthier, stronger, and more resilient life. Say goodbye to unrealistic body standards and conflicting health advice, and welcome into your new world of a customized lifestyle that nurtures your mind, body, and soul. Rebel Wellness is your new home if you believe in true wellness beyond just diet and exercise and are ready to align with your unique needs and values. Welcome back to this week's Hot Take Summer episode. If you don't already know, these are my kind of off-the-cuff, unscripted viewpoints and perspectives based off this last decade of experience I've had in the wellness space um, on a lot of the current hot-button topics and such because I want to give the advice and responses that I give to my clients every week when they ask me a lot of these questions um, to all of you, all of you listeners. So welcome, welcome, welcome. And I am also just wanting to let you know if you would like to join our CBK squad. So that's Coach by Kales. That's my kind of flagship coaching brand. Rebel Wellness is kind of this newer project that we've got coming as a little extension of all of these passions <laughs> into this podcast platform. So if you'd like to join us, and I would extremely love to see you come join us on our Rebel Wellness Podcast Instagram or at Coach by Kales. And also, we've got some really exciting stuff coming down the pipeline as far as things that I have personally created, especially for you, all around anything nutrition and fitness. I won't give it all up yet, so stay tuned. But if you'd like to know what I'm talking about and what um, is available for you already, you can visit my stand store at stand.store backslash Kales, K-A-I-L-E-S, or you can join our newsletter at coachkales.com. And those are great ways to connect. And I promise you, I'm not going to be spamming newsletter email content. So uh, would love to see you come and join both of our communities on any of those platforms. All right, so today's topic has been highly anticipated. It was requested by multiple of my clients who are avid listeners of the podcast. And it's also just a topic that I think is really prevalent to the times right now, because this this specific topic has become part of a lot of our lifestyles. And um, I think that understanding all angles of its implications on your health and or lifestyle can really empower you to better understand what is actually impacting you maybe more than you think or trying to get strategic and hack the life of it. And the topic we are going to talk about today is alcohol. <laughs> so it's I've heard it's become a popular thing more recently and I've definitely seen on my social media a shift towards mocktails and uh, soberness or sobriety in general or just a lot of reduction in alcohol consumption in general. And I think that that is a great shift because you'll hear a lot more why here in a moment. But if you're somebody who's been struggling with a lot of confliction around, should you go out and have a happy hour with your girlfriends to connect frequently, like every Friday or something, or should you go and kind of binge drink here and there, but as long as you're not drinking every day, it's not as bad, right? You know, any of those thought processes, or if you had those 
questions in your mind, come to the crossroads personally for yourself, where this has become a thought for you. I am going to do my best today to kind of dive deep into that to help your decision overall of how you're going to approach and utilize alcohol in your own life. And that is where I want you to come out of this with the most understanding and kind of personal responsibility over your actions towards this poison. Because, um, and I want to, I do want to preference that, like, I am going to reference it as poison because that is why we get a buzz. That is why we get inebriated and all that kind of stuff is it is a poison to our body. Unfortunately, there is no way around it. There is actually no real health benefits to alcohol overall. And so I want to make sure though, because I do partake in consuming alcohol, everybody knows Kales loves her marbs, you know? (laughs) So it is something that I am not going to be like, you should stop doing it, but I'm still doing it. I just mainly want to open this conversation up to you to start thinking about the deeper impacts that regular consumption of alcohol can have on you in your life and allow you to kind of make the decision for yourself, like I was saying before. So I do want you to know that I'm not here to like shame anyone for alcohol consumption or be hypocritical in general. It's more so just like, let's chat about how I've seen it affect my clients, even myself and my family, friends, yada, yada. And how does some of the science that I know through my nutritional background and fitness come into play with other aspects of everybody's personal health and choices, all of that. Okay. So just wanted to preface that, but I do have some really interesting facts that I'm going to share. So make sure you stick through to the end because we're going to chat about some very interesting things that even I didn't know until several years ago when I started to study alcohol more specifically. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So first things first, let's just level with each other right now. We all know that alcohol is a vice because it's vicey, <laughs> aka it's not good for you. Sorry for my doggo in the back. Um, it has short-term returns in the sense of like the buzz feeling, feeling a little less in control. Um, it does have like the literal neural effect of lowering that wall that allows us to suddenly decide to dance even though we're shy or suddenly say some things without the thought process of should I say it this way or that way. Um, they have a very specific term for all of that, but I'm going to keep this as minimal sciency as possible. But if you would like to know the real science, one of the best uh, outlets for that or resources is, of course, Andrew Huberman's uh, podcast, Huberman Lab. I believe he's got several chats that involve alcohol, but he does have a very specific alcohol episode. So I would definitely recommend you check that out if you want the deep dive into science. But I'm going to try to give you a little bit of the summary of um, everything that is worth understanding and knowing from not only his take on it from his neuroscience background, but also a multitude of different authorities in the science world around how alcohol affects the body. Because it's not just a kind of social approach. I don't think that you should just think of things as like hearsay of what people say, you know, like, oh, you should have some hair of the dog. It'll take the edge off if you're feeling crappy afterwards. And oh, you should just take all these $50 pills because uh, it'll prevent hangover, you know. 
If you actually understand what is really going on, it helps you make those choices and understand what you actually really need to do instead of all these different conversations and things that friends will say to you or somebody on TikTok will tell you to do or yada, yada. You know what I mean? So I'm a big fan of better understanding all of that down to the science for yourself and to kind of avoid a lot of these like snake oil things. But with all of that said, it's really good to just be honest with yourself despite what people will say that you understand that you are low dose poisoning yourself every time you drink alcohol. Like that's just plain and simple what it is. And I know that putting it in those kind of terms sometimes make people feel like uh, guilty or shameful or any of that stuff. And that's definitely not the point I'm trying to encourage with this conversation and utilizing those terms, it's just that we have to understand that that's literally what it is doing. So of course, we're going to have negative effects from consuming a poison, you know? So that's the first thing I always tell my clients, like straight off the bat, when they ask me like, how much alcohol should I be consuming? Or can I consume this much? Or is this going to impair my fat loss progress and all of that, which are, those are all questions I'm definitely going to answer today. But I also like to just make sure everybody understands and is just straight up honest with themselves that it is not like an elixir or a tonic, no matter how many little fancy bitters or lemon juice or whatever you put in it. (laughs) Unfortunately, it still has a poison in it. So that is number one on the list of this chat, because you just have to recognize that. Okay. So next part to this, some of the most common questions that I get um, is, can I have alcohol alongside a fat loss program? Can I, how much can I drink when I'm in a fat loss program? Or sometimes I have to intervene and ask daily questions or weekly questions rather of how much alcohol are you consuming currently? You know, like, is your body weight not moving? Okay, well, let's look at one of the biggest inflammatory and uh, hormone affecting things that we do consume socially frequently, and that is alcohol. So those are like the questions I usually ask or the questions I get. And typically there is too much consistent alcohol consumption every week. And of course the body, especially when it's in a pissed off inflamed state, because by the nature of how your body and your liver has to process alcohol out of it, A, it stops processing out fat, the liver, when it has to deal with this poison. So all other systems basically shut off while it's trying to get this poison out of you. That's a fact. So anywhere from 24 to 48 hours, sometimes 72, depending on the person and their genetics, because genetics does have a big factor in how you process alcohol. When those systems stop, you're not burning fat. So it doesn't matter if you spent your entire week in a deficit, aka lower calories, trying to instill fat loss. Once you're consuming alcohol, your body isn't even thinking about burning fat and filtering fat out of your body through your liver. Okay, so that's the biggest issue. So most diets, especially serious ones, when they're like a time restricted, so which all diets should be time restricted, it should never be open ended. You guys hear me talk about this a lot, but when you are doing something like that, anywhere from a six week to a 15 week, whatever, I wouldn't exceed 15 weeks, you're going to experience essentially your fat loss stalling. So it's just going to kind of stop. And the problem with that then is you get a little bit frustrated because you spent this entire week watching your food. And then even if you just had 
vodka sodas with lime. Like it still is going to stop fat burn. So you're not going to see any progress in that area for a multitude of reasons. But those are the two, the big major ones is that your liver is no longer paying attention to burning your fat and the alcohol causes inflammation in your gut and also kills off the gut good gut bacteria in your body over time. And every time you drink alcohol, um, because we put alcohol on like cuts and things to kill bacteria on our exterior. So obviously it is going to affect our interior, which hundred percent it does. It doesn't matter. There's three major forms of alcohol. And the one that we consume is processed into ethanol. I believe we just refer to it as ethyl alcohol. And um, there's isopropyl, and then there's one other type, but the only one that we can consume safely is then turned into ethanol in our body. And so it's important to understand that that form of alcohol still affects the bacteria in our gut. That's why in like old timey times, people would get cut. And if they had like some bottle of moonshine basically on them, Uh, they would pour it on the cut to try to kill any bacteria that could cause infection. So it's definitely also important to understand that factor because when your gut bacteria over time is affected negatively by consuming too much alcohol too frequently, it creates inevitably imbalances in your gut that does tend to lead to leaky gut, which is also one of the major contributors. Why a lot of people nowadays have leaky gut, aka the cell walls in your intestines are so inflamed that they create gaps in the junctions and then things, particles of food and um, bacteria from your gut that is not supposed to go into your bloodstream goes into your bloodstream. And this can lead to a whole multitude of things, including autoimmune diseases, such as like autoimmune thyroid. So we want to make sure that we don't encourage that, right? So I'll usually tell a lot of my clients, like if you're going to go into a dieting phase, it's no alcohol, all bets are off, no alcohol. Because even if you can get away with some alcohol, which I'm going to talk about that in a moment, you still want to put your body in the best position that all that freaking effort you're putting into your fitness and your deficit following your calories or your food, you don't want to put that to waste simply by just having one drink on the weekend for something in a temporary span, okay? So again, this isn't saying you should have no alcohol forever. It's only if you're in a time-limited deficit. So a diet that is only a certain amount of weeks. If you can give up alcohol for those 12 to 15 weeks, you're gonna put yourself in a very good position to actually have long-lasting body recomposition in comparison to if you don't. So. I would say the biggest nutritional uh, sabotager of all my female clients, even my males, but less my males, they're a lot more like a hardy, I would say, when it comes to fat loss because they've got so much more testosterone. Um, but for my females, they're constantly sabotaging their fat loss goals or progress, even muscle gain goals because of alcohol consumption. So this is a really big opportunity for you to kind of assess how frequently you are consuming alcohol and see if you can adjust that in your own lifestyle for your goals, because it will 100% impair your muscle growth, your recovery, and your fat loss in general for all those different reasons. I'm gonna continue on this conversation, but I just wanna make sure that that point is clearly made right now. 
So can somebody lose fat and still consume alcohol? Yes, but how well does that work? And is that advice I would encourage people to follow? <laughs> Not really. So I've had, um, I don't know, maybe like 40 clients, maybe even more than that over the years, stick to a very specific deficit, aka a calorie plan with very specific weekly increments that we adjust to work with their metabolism and teach their metabolism that, hey, you're going into a caloric deficit. Start using your fat stores, please. <laughs> please, emphasis on the please. Because <laughs> sometimes the body is like, nah, I'm not even going to touch them right now. And that's where we start to look into like what else is affecting it, not just alcohol. And then once you're following that, you should be getting a pretty consistent decrease in excess body fat. Um, basically, your body fat percentage is going down and hopefully you're maintaining or only slightly losing muscle mass. Um, it's pretty hard in a deficit to maintain all your muscle the entire way through. Uh, that is near impossible for a lot of females, especially, but it can be done. Um, but oftentimes a lot of it's done with like performance enhancing drugs. Unfortunately, um, it's just not natural for the body to lose fat like that. Um, so I want to make that clear that sometimes I've had clients get fortunate with like one weekend out of the 12 week cut, uh, lose, continue to lose fat when they had a couple drinks out because somebody was visiting or a life event occurred. Like I had a client at the end of her deficit, a family member passed and she had several glasses of wine at the end of that week. And that was like her second to last week of her deficit. And she still maintained and lost body fat. So there are occasions where that can happen, but I don't like to start deficits like that um, because I have not seen anybody begin their deficit consistently and uh, drink alcohol and have progress. It's usually towards the end of the deficit if some alcohol was consumed. It doesn't seem to affect it very much, but we're talking four drinks or less and only one or two days out of those last couple weeks. So again, I wouldn't recommend it if that's something that you were looking for. Unfortunately, I do think that the best uh, way to approach it is committing to cutting out alcohol for several weeks on end just to keep your body in a non-inflamed state to make sure all your efforts are going in the right direction. Because kind of to repeat a bit of what I was saying in the beginning of this and add in some more things, the way that nutritionally alcohol affects your body is that um, alcohol is water and fat soluble. So that means it can pass through the blood brain barrier and through other tissues in your body very rapidly. And it doesn't, it's a non-discriminatory, I guess they call it, where basically it's not picking and choosing where it goes because it can go anywhere because our body is mostly water and fat. So that's how come it affects us so much faster and more rapidly than um, other forms of intoxicants, I would say. So that means that we are going to be a little more at risk more frequently um, and how much alcohol we consume can affect us like immediately. So when it comes to how is it affecting us nutritionally, not only are you consuming something that is messing with your gut bacteria, which is then changing the way your gut processes all the food you eat, which means that sometimes 
it can make you store fat more frequently when you've got more imbalances in bad, bad gut bacteria, or it can also cause deficiencies if you don't have the proper amount of bacteria assimilating the food, the nutrients from the food you're eating. And if it's causing inflammation because alcohol, when it's getting processed, breaks down into acetaldehyde, which is the most toxic part of alcohol, that will be causing a lot of different stress and um, oxidative stress, that is, to your body and your cells. So it can also cause a lot of inflammation in your guts, causing leaky gut, which can cause a bunch of other health issues when things get into your bloodstream, as well as, okay, so this is a side tangent. I've definitely noticed as um, I got into drinking more frequently in my latter 20s, um, I actually didn't even like the taste of alcohol for a long time. And it didn't really interest me a ton. I had had several. I hardly ever drank before turning 21 just because it didn't impress me much. (laughs) Um, And then I would say around 23, 24 is when I started noticing a little more frequency with mostly tequila-based drinks. (laughs) And then um, kind of expanded into like gins. And I still don't really drink a whole lot of different things because I get the Asian glow. If you don't know this already, I am part Japanese and Filipino, and I don't have the genetics that process alcohol well. So um, I get a more physical reaction and I feel alcohol a lot faster. So I'm in the category of people who don't process alcohol very well. So therefore it's more uh, acutely poisonous to me. So I don't like to consume a ton of it. So I never really did in my early years. Um, It's increased more as life has gone on, especially as I've gotten into like craft cocktails and things like things that are kind of interesting and foodie like. But anyways, all that to say, I noticed a significant change in my skin quality, not just like little whitehead pimples or things here and there more frequently, but wrinkles and a lot more um, rapid aging signs, I would say faster than ever before. And a lot of people could say, well, that's just because you're in your latter twenties now, Kales, but I have actually noticed a more specific correlation of how the quality and the like luster of my skin, like the glow looks when I've consumed a lot of alcohol in my follicular phase and luteal phase compared to uh, just in general beforehand, or rather just casual drinks. Like if I had only one to three drinks in the whole month versus every weekend, a couple drinks. So that would be like six to eight drinks in the month. Um, And I have noticed, speaking of my cycle, this will be something fun, quote unquote fun, (laughs) for you to observe for yourself. Notice whether or not if you consume more alcohol than normal, whether it's because of events or not, or just choice or stress, whatnot, in your follicular phase, make a mental note of how you do in your luteal phase and on your period. Same goes for if you didn't drink any alcohol in your follicular phase, but drank some in your luteal phase, or observe the months, especially where you didn't drink at all in your symptoms, because I would bet money that your symptoms are heightened and worse, especially with hormonal swings, like mood changes and such, and severity of your cramps when you drink more during your follicular phase and if you continue into your luteal phase. Um, And that can just be a couple drinks a week. But notice that even those few drinks do have impact on the quality of your period. And like I've said in many, many episodes, 
Your period is your report card of how you did the month before in regards to your general health practices. So were you eating 70 to 80% more healthy, more consistently rounded whole food meals? Um, Were you hydrated well? Did you manage your stress generally well? Did you work out enough? You know, did you move enough in general? Did you walk well? You know, all of those things will show up in the quality of your period because your period is going to really put some symptoms on top of your hormones and your hormones are going to be massively affected by how your um, gut and body is reacting to the dark sides of alcohol. So that's kind of how I wanted to tie those two concepts together in this chat, because that is the fastest way to know, are you consuming a little too much alcohol perhaps (laughs) in your month to month cycle, because your period will tell you when we've had um, like this season has been just the most weddings we've had to be a part of, which is great and beautiful to be, you know, a part of. But at the same time, there's a lot more alcohol consumption than I usually do have and alcohol that is of the cheaper variety. (laughs) Not to like turn my nose up on anything, but I've always had this kind of rule that I will nearly always only consume higher quality like top shelf liquor with good ingredients if I'm going to drink my poison. Like I'm going to have the nicer poison, quote unquote, if I'm going to have poison at all. So I'm not going to like have Cuervo and stuff. I'm probably going to have Casamigos and such. So when I've had to be at weddings where they have just a local house wine that's cheap or things like that, First off, United States wines, so New World wines, are super, 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 super inflammatory. The, not only are they, um, they have a higher rate of sulfites in it, they also have a lot more, um, they have less regulation on the quality of the grapes and what goes into it. That's why sometimes you're actually going to find a protein content on the back of um, certain cheaper wines because They actually can smash dead squirrels and different bugs and things that go into the processing of the grapes um, for the really cheap wineries. That's a fact. I actually had an ex who worked in the wine industry and wine sales and was immersed in everything to do with the production and distribution of wine. So it got the real like hands-on effect. And when you're going for these really cheapy wines, like canned wine, that's only like two bucks a can. Mm, I call it squirrel wine now, unfortunately, (laughs) because it's actually really gross, but true that they can just kind of throw a lot of different things in with these processing of these grapes because you're making cheap wine. Like if it's too easy to drink, it's probably going to give you some headaches and some problems. But that also brings me into the next part about alcohol that I love talking to people about is not only like the quality and getting pickier about the sources of the alcohol, if you are going to consume some, it is very interesting to observe the differences between old world wines and new world wines. And I honestly think that we're seeing this huge epidemic of too much um, estrogen dominance and other inflammatory diseases and issues that especially females are having. Because let's be honest, like in female culture right now, like you watch any shows on Hulu that are like aimed at millennial women and stuff, they've got wine all the time. Like it blows my mind how much I've sat there and watched and like they get home from something from like an an early morning workout and they sit down with their girlfriends with like 
boxed rosé and they fill the wine glass like halfway full, which is two and a half servings, by the way, if your wine glass is a larger uh, Bordeaux, like a red wine type of glass, which is this, the typical glass that most people have at their house. They like fill it halfway and a halfway is usually like a 10 to 12 ounce pour and a five ounce pour is a serving of wine. So um, that usually blows a lot of people's mind too. Um, I did a video about that on my Instagram once and it was like really funny, but also just really exposed that we don't understand portion sizes for alcohol either. And that makes a huge difference because sometimes we'll be thinking, I only had one drink, but in reality, maybe the bartender put like three to four ounces of liquor in it. And that's two drinks. Two ounces is a standard drink. Some places say one and a half ounces is a standard drink if it's liquor. Um, For wine, five ounces is standard. And I cannot actually speak to beer because beer is a little bit different uh, ball game. It's also much lower on the alcohol, the ABV, basically like how much um, alcohol is per volume. So in each serving, but the higher, more frequently consumed drinks that most of us are having are liquor based in cocktails and or wine. And so with the wine, Um, I had several people point out to me and especially because I've always gotten the Asian glow, especially with wines and like champagnes, um, or uh, Prosecco's, I always was really curious as to what specifically about these is affecting me much more like specifically than liquors. So when I was dating this ex, um, we kind of dove into it more because having access to the people who are literally making the wines, the winemakers, and seeing the process and learning the differences. Um, And then even later, when I got to Italy and worked with an organic uh, vineyard and talked to one of their sommeliers, who was the one who was leading the tour, and hearing from his mouth the legitimate stuff that is different between like Italian organic old world wines compared with New World American wines is that they do have much different regulations on sulfites and the human body does get reactions to sulfites. So that's why you'll see a lot of wines that are like sulfite free or lower sulfites. But fun fact is if it's a wine directly imported from Italy, France, Spain, a lot of the old world varietals, they still have regulations on how much sulfites they allow their winemakers to use in their wines, whereas here we have a higher threshold. So they don't mind if you put in more than the standard amount. And that looks like a stuffy nose, hot sweats the whole time you're sleeping, lots of inflammation, irritable bowels, and more brain fog, worse headaches and hangovers. So I kind of swear by this little process here. (laughs) I only drink Italian wines or French wines if I'm going to consume wine for fun, I would say rather. Um, I actually don't do a lot of wineries in this area. And I do come from California where there's an amazing winery um, at every corner practically (laughs) Uh, where where I'm at it, that is. And I was, I did go through my mid-20s. Um, early and mid twenties up in Oregon where it's Pinot Noir like area. And I did go to a lot of the wineries there and that's where I got to experiment and learn that yes, actually American wines are affecting me very significantly and a glass or two or three of Italian wines with the DOCG label on it 
do not affect me at all almost, uh, which is pretty fascinating. And so I did narrow it down, at least for myself and a lot of my friends who have started and clients who have implemented this kind of rule, only old world wines is the wines we drink. So it sounds kind of bougie, but I have found profoundly it is true for a lot of us that we actually all don't do well with the American uh, regulations on sulfites and such. And for a while there, I thought it wasn't the sulfites because people would be like, oh, well, there's sulfites and everything. There's sulfites and a lot of things. Yes. But what I then next thought that my ex and I had looked into was that maybe it's the oak barrels. Maybe it's because it's new oak versus old oak because they use old oak in Europe and new oak in America. And that could have some effects. But what it came down to is narrowing it down to the fact that we have way higher sulfite content in our American wines versus European wines. And it's been pretty well known that sulfites do affect the human body in inflammatory ways and such. So if you are a whiny or a wino, I would suggest you start to get picky and consume mainly only old world European wines and see if you feel better and do better on that. Because I don't think, I think 100% of my friends and clients that have followed that rule have had the same exact reactions as me, like way better reactions. So that's a little fun tip slash dark side to better understanding the differences in quality of alcohol, because that also affects you differently. But overall, across the board, it's still a poison, it's still alcohol, and it's still going to affect your body um, negatively. But how negatively is kind of determined by the quality of your alcohol. So That's all I'm going to say about that, but that is a very interesting fact that I love to share with people because I've done my due diligence trying to figure it out and I kind of swear by it at this point. Okay, so as we kind of narrow this down to the end of this chat, um, it is important to know that a lot of people kind of give a bad rap and they say like, oh, sugar is empty calories, don't eat it. There's aspects to sugar that actually do have some nutrients involved and also a purpose if you are somebody who is in the middle of a sport and you need some quick energy, you know, things like that. Sugar is far less damaging than alcohol sugar. So alcohol in general is actually the most true version of empty calories because it provides zero nutritional benefit to the body and it is more expensive on the nutrients that are currently in your body. So your body has nutrient reserves of different vitamins and minerals and different things you can consume or actions you perform can cost those reserves. So something similar to having water that has zero minerals in it, like no electrolytes involved, will pull minerals from your body to complete that water molecule as it passes through your body and goes through your kidneys and all that stuff. So that's why it's negative to consume high amounts of purified water because it's pulling nutrients from your body versus depositing it. Therefore, it's kind of making you more dehydrated, even though it is a water molecule. It's not a complete hydrating molecule because there are no minerals in it. So that's really important to understand. And so same thing goes with alcohol because it's asking your body to basically turn it into not a poison. So it doesn't completely negatively affect your body. Your body is doing all these different things and expending various minerals from your reserves and your organs to 
clear this poison out or basically turn it into just something that we can utilize as energy, aka ethanol. So that is why it becomes ethanol in the body because we can use ethanol for energy, which is a lot of the times why alcoholics become dependent on alcohol because your body starts to prefer utilizing ethanol as its energy source. And so that's where you'll see a lot of alcoholics typically become kind of uh, moody and angry until they get their next drink. It's because their body is giving them signals that, hey, I need some more alcohol. I need more ethanol so I can keep creating energy. And that's when you're consuming a lot of alcohol consistently, like three drinks a day or more. Sometimes depending on the person, again, with the genetics, it can be two drinks or more a day. But it's still important to understand that even if you're not consuming that much alcohol a day, you're going to experience the negative effects that the acetaldehyde has, which is the toxic part of alcohol I was talking about earlier, has on the body. So there's been tons of studies that have shown now that even casual drinkers, anywhere from just two to six drinks a week, which is easily just like a few drinks on Friday and Saturday, they're going to experience a reaction where the body releases cortisol, even when they're no longer drinking. So this can be the next day, which can contribute to anxiety and other dysregulation of your HPA and adrenal axis in your brain. So basically how your pituitary gland communicates with your adrenal glands, meaning in your adrenal glands are what release cortisol. So it's how your brain, your pituitary gland is basically telling your adrenals to release cortisol, even if you're not in a state where you're actually wanting it by design of activity. So like if you started running, you, your body tells your, or your brain tells your body to drop out cortisol so that you can utilize it for energy. When you're stressed, same thing happens. Drinking, however, can instill the same reaction where your body is going to release cortisol because of the stress of the toxin on your body. So this is very negative and it also is a huge influence on um, my shift and understanding and how I manage alcohol for myself because life for me is already quite stressful and I'm juggling a lot. So I don't want to add more cortisol into my bin of <laughs> cortisol in my body because I already instill a lot of that myself. And so alcohol contributing that to my, uh, my already there baseline of cortisol is not great. And I can imagine it's had a negative effect in my last several years, dealing with some adrenal fatigue symptoms where my cortisol is just completely tanking in the afternoon where it's supposed to be tapering off. I'm sure that the alcohol consumption even casually has affected me negatively in that sense. So I even know for myself, I already would like to reduce my alcohol consumption even more significantly because I don't want to continue down this kind of negative pathway, even though uh, having a light buzz on the weekend is fun and quote unquote, seemingly relaxing. But I am realizing now that it is probably not something that I want to keep around as frequently, even though everybody else is doing it. So even though it's a common thing, it's not normal for the body. And I um, even myself have decided that like, I'm going to continue to change the way that I treat alcohol in my life. And I definitely invite you to as well, because um, I can't tell you enough, the more I have dived into this conversation about alcohol and learning more about it from a scientific standpoint and even observing it in my own life. I do know that it has 
profound negative effects for myself. And I have witnessed it for um, my clients as well. And the moment we start to change things, um, it's even crazy just for me how much the wittiness of my brain comes back when I've stopped drinking and done like dry months and things like that. In by week three or so, parts of how fast my brain used to make connections and make funny, witty comments and stuff comes back so fast. And I can't believe how much I've not even realized that that has been like kind of lost on me for a while. And that's like such a bummer, you know, like when you know parts about your personality that like one thing is clearly impacting, it kind of makes it a little bit easier for you to uh, negotiate with yourself of removing that thing that is affecting something that is a part of you. I don't know if that is too profound or if that makes sense to you guys listening, but um, that is something that I've observed for myself. So I definitely extend that invite to you to observe that for yourself and see if you experience similar things like that too. If you've ever noticed that the more frequently you've been drinking with your girlfriends, the more depression or anxiety you've experienced later on or um, parts about your personality, like like I just was saying, um, have been muted or absent altogether, just paired with these negative effects of low grade consistent poison every week, you know. So it is just important to know that um, consistent alcohol consumption is changing our neural circuitry and our hormonal circuitry, not for the better. Um, it's impacting us negatively in a lot of different ways that sometimes we don't even realize. So um, this is a great opportunity. And the whole point of this whole conversation is that I think a lot more people are waking up to realizing, um, even this is even though this is a normal thing, and this is a huge economic stimulator, because the margins on alcohol are probably some of the highest in the food industry for sure, that they are not a way to live forever. And they are probably a huge impactor on your um, hormones, your stress management, your lifestyle, your body weight, your belly fat. You know, I see so much um, belly fat and due to cortisol and estrogen, which again, this is where the cortisol effect of alcohol impacts you. If you are somebody who's in an estrogen dominant state, if you've got this really stubborn belly fat and you feel like you can gain it really fast, if you're consistently drinking alcohol, I would bet you money that that is impacting it very directly and it can get improved by you reducing your alcohol consumption to very low to no. Like if you can keep it to one to three drinks a month at first, if that's a big change for you, and then maybe go one to three drinks every couple months, you know, that's probably going to be a really good lifestyle change for you, especially if you are constantly dissatisfied with your belly fat and other implications of having too much inflammation and too high of cortisol, too high of estrogen, all of these things, guys, um, it's just, it's crazy. It's hard to even bring it down to something perfectly concise in the science because alcohol affects in so many different ways. So again, I will definitely plug Huberman's podcast on alcohol or any of the other trusted leading sources for your scientific information, because it's, it's insane how much it impacts us. And um, there's been so many different articles and such I've seen online come forward about like, we... 100% know alcohol is a leading risk factor for cancers, but we all still consume it very openly. 
And we kind of just give no fucks about it in a way. And in reality, it's like, there's like tons of red flags waving around everywhere, but it's so popular and accepted in our society. And we just kind of take it for granted. Uh, And it's something that a lot of people like will just never give up. Like they just can't give it up. So interesting things for you to think about. Um, I think I have basically chatted about every angle of alcohol at the moment that I would off the cuff. Again, this is all unscripted. So (laughs) I'm hoping that I covered a lot of the questions asked in the science, especially the fact that it's the toxin component to alcohol, how it affects our white and gray matter in our brain is just kind of astounding. Like the fact that it negatively impacts us 100% um, to literally the the white and gray matter in our brain altering every time we are consuming anywhere from 7 to 14 drinks in the matter of two weeks. And like, that's not that much. Like some people have that in one week or, you know, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, if you have three or four drinks every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's already like 12 drinks a week. It's so crazy. Um, And again, it depends too. Like maybe you got a really strong drink and that actually counts as two and we just don't realize it. So uh, anyways, I hope that that was helpful for you and it gave you some things to think about. Again, I hope you don't come out of this conversation thinking um, anything of shame or guilt or anything in that zone. It's just great information to hopefully educate you a little bit more about the implications of consuming alcohol consistently and how it is probably affecting you negatively, especially if you're somebody who's dealing with body fat imbalances, hormonal imbalances, anxiety, depression, you know, a lot of different things that are directly correlated to your gut and your lifestyle in general. Okay, before we close this podcast out, there's a couple of things that I wanted to incorporate that were some great learning lessons and comments from clients on this topic. So One tip I would give you if you are somebody who is trying to move away from using things like wine in the evening to de-stress or decompress, as stuffy and dumb as this might sound, if you trade your wine for walking, we like to call this walk versus wine, (laughs) and just go on a like quickie little 15 minute walk to help you process some of like your stress or emotions, you can get way better effects from the stress relieving properties of going on a casual walk, breathing, using your lungs at a full capacity, not shallow breathing like a lot of us do at our desks all day, and getting fresh air, maybe getting some sunshine hitting your skin. All of those things have way more positive impacts on helping reduce your cortisol and um, relax you and get your mind off of just finding another vice versus just going straight for the wine. I know the wine seems easy and stuff, but it's actually not helping you. And like we learned earlier, it will cause an afterburner effect uh, to your baseline of cortisol, which is not helpful in the long term because then you're just causing more stress for your stress. So that's a big tip of something that has worked for a lot of my clients is starting to replace vicey habits with things as simple as walking, breathing techniques, stretching foam rolling, you know, anything that basically is just taking some very physical care of your body (laughs) makes a huge difference. So that is a good tip that I would 
share with you to consider. And one last one is for a client of mine who has specifically made huge leaps and bounds in her relationship with alcohol. Ever since we've worked together, we've worked together for about four years now, which is insane to think about. Maybe it's, no, it's about four. Yeah. And, or maybe it's three. I don't know. It's been a while. Before we started working together, she had a very lackadaisical, kind of standard relationship with alcohol, Um, maybe more than standard, just a like high alcohol consumption very frequently. It was something that like her friends would do and stuff, you know, it was a very social thing. And it also was a way for her to cope with her challenges with depression and everything in that. So we're not going to give into too many details, but she said, I can share this story. So what we approached her alcohol was not cutting it out cold turkey as much as we did a few times try to reduce it to like none, um, especially because we were really trying to get some fat loss to move. One of the major things that shifted was just getting into a mindset shift where it no longer became as necessary or enjoyable for like social gatherings for her to have alcohol with her. And when she compared the effects of how crappy it made her sleep when she started to become mindful that alcohol was causing her to get really bad sleep quality or no sleep at all, really, that which is really common for a lot of us. A lot of us, if we especially consume alcohol later in the day, most likely it's impacting your sleep in not a good way to some people don't even sleep at all. They're just kind of in this weird transitory state where you're just kind of floating in a sort of a sleep but not really asleep. So you're not getting those really restorative, helpful brain nourishing hours where you're, when you're actually asleep. So alcohol is negative in that sense. So her, her and I joke about this a lot that like, hey, I want to actually sleep well tomorrow or I want to sleep well tonight. So I'm not going to consume alcohol. Um, and just choosing different options of things like de- determining how do I want to feel? What is my current goals? Am I working on my muscle? Because it impairs muscle synthesis when you also consume alcohol. So not only does it stop fat from burning, it also impairs your muscle building potential. So there's all these little implications that come from just like what one casual drink with friends, you know, is that drink really worth throwing the rest of all that off? So kind of comparing the cost of that choice and it's significantly reduced her alcohol consumption in general. And oftentimes she's just kind of thinking about social gatherings in that zone where maybe she'll just have a CBD seltzer. Maybe she'll just have like a diet soda or something that's got like a different flavor than usual because she pretty much only drinks like water with her electrolytes and or tea or matcha. So if you're looking for a different mouthfeel, like you want a very specific kind of flavor or something bubbly, you know, you don't have to always go with an alcoholic beverage. You know, if you, if you know there's a cost to every time you have an alcoholic beverage, it sometimes makes it easier for you to make a choice that doesn't cost you really anything, you know? So um, big props to that client. If she's listening, she knows who she is. <laughs> she's made huge progress in her relationship with alcohol and, um, it's definitely something that a lot of us don't really work on, you know, and it, and it can really impact us negatively. And it definitely has benefited her mental health immensely by reducing the alcohol too. So again, this is a great invitation to any of you, what any of these things resonate to consider a little bit of a dry spell or going a little more sober all altogether. Or if you feel like I don't need to go sober because I'm not an alcoholic, that's okay. You don't have to call it that. You can just cut back on your drinking 
significantly, you know, and that is a very good habit to start to implement. I mean, there's tons of celebrities that don't drink at all, and they owe a lot of their lack of aging to not drinking as much as their like co-stars and such. Um, Blake Lively is one of them. I know Jennifer Lopez, she hardly ever drank alcohol and doesn't, even though Oddly enough, both of them have alcohol companies now. <laughs> my, my clients have heard me talk about my confusion with this. It's a little bit of weird branding, in my opinion. But um, there's a lot of different celebrities out there who swear by uh, hardly ever drinking alcohol their entire careers to helping their skin stay healthy, youthful in their bodies overall. Like it's not just about appearance, but since our world is so appearance driven, it is important to know that you age very rapidly when you consume alcohol too much because, again, it's a poison. So. With that, I'm going to leave you on that note. <laughs> and I hope that this chat was helpful for you and it kind of gave you some insight and uh, things to kind of introspect on for yourself as you walk forward in life because it's all about being mindful, you know, and just kind of calling yourself out on your bullshit, especially if you're not uh, making any progress with your fitness or your uh, fat loss, whatever your health goal is, take a look at your alcohol consumption because it, it could be literally the only thing holding you back right now and it can unlock some great progress for you when you stop. So that's it for today's episode and I hope that you can share this with somebody who needs it and make sure that you celebrate your strength and nourishment, walk with confidence, and I'm going to catch you next week on another episode of Rebel Wellness. Hey you, thanks for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, we have some exciting news for you. We've recently launched an Instagram page for the Rebel Wellness podcast, where we'll be sharing inspiring quotes, from every episode, behind the scenes moments, and updates about upcoming episodes. So be sure to follow us at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram to stay connected with our community. And it's growing, so I'm really excited about it. That's not all though. I also want to introduce you to at Coach by Kales, which is my flagship fitness and wellness coaching business, as I am so passionate about empowering individuals like you to live their healthiest and most enjoyable lives. So if you would love to join me there as well, follow my page for daily inspiration, fitness tips, nutrition tips, sometimes even healthy recipes as well as debunking more myths around the health and fitness industry in general. By following both pages, you'll be joining a community of like-minded individuals who are all committed to living their best lives as well. So don't hesitate, hit that follow button and join us on this journey to wellness. Again, thank you for listening and I hope to catch you on the gram.